0: I'm Andrea, and I'm Claudia, and we're the Judgy Crime Girls. Hello, welcome back to it, another week. It's another week. We're a little, a little late. Yes, sorry. We have a mic that has a mind of its own. Does anyone else have a mic in their life <laughs> with a mind of its own? Because we have one.
1: Uh, it's very frustrating, especially when you're when everything just works out great, and then you'll run into some trouble, and.
0: It's not easily fixed. It's all right. We are persevering women. Yeah. We figure it out. We're here, and thank you for listening,
1: even though we're a little late today. Uh, something I want to throw out real quick, we... Okay, I had somebody contact me. She wanted to listen to us. She knows both of us, and she doesn't have Spotify or Apple Podcasts. is. Not very cell phone savvy and didn't know how to download another app to listen to. So I just wanted to throw it out there. If you are like this lady, you can just go to our website, judgycrimegirls.com and click on episodes and they're all there. And
0: what's really cool is if you're unsure if we've covered someone, you can type in the name yes. and it'll pop up. Yep because we come up with, you know, some crazy names for our episodes. Right. And I also wanted to real quick give a shout out to Aura who bought us a coffee. Thank you, Aura. That was so nice. And she knows Jess who I have not seen in forever and she asked us to give you a shout out, which is the cutest thing in the world. So, shout out to Jess. Shout out all our love and haven't seen you in forever, I wish I could give you a big hug, Andrew Kiddos. Thank you, Aura and Jess. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. It was a shock that you liked the show, and it's amazing how weird other people are. And you know what? I wanted to tell you that, I don't know if you saw, someone had used stay judgy in their victim impact statement. Yes blew me away. She reached out to us and, you know, she said once, one day, if she ever puts pen to paper, her story, she would love to send it to us and that she's a listener and included that. And it was just meant so much to me. Mm -hmm. So very, very cool. Also, uh, Jessica, and I I can't really say her last name on here. I don't know that that's appropriate, but Jessica is one of our lead Gosh, fans online. Uh, Yes. And even reached out to us to see if she could like start a group and be an admin. And it's just kind of really cool what everybody's doing and into. I don't think
1: we're quite ready for like a private group, unless, you know, we have some listeners that are interested in joining a group, you know, let us know. We just always think, me, nobody's interested in that. And
0: maybe you are, but yeah, let us know. Yeah, definitely do. I started reading, well, on Audible, listening to, (laughs) I'm not great at keeping attention to, to a handheld book, but there is this book, And it's How to Solve a Crime by Angela Gallup. And I read a little bit about her this week. Mm -hmm. She's very much into forensics. And I was telling Claudia this morning how she had talked her husband into recreating a crime scene so that she could see if it was a murder or a suicide. Mm -hmm. And I just laughed as I read the article. I'm like, this poor guy, he's just... He just goes along and does
1: whatever. Didn't she he says. say that wasn't the first time he was, you know, made the guinea
0: pig? Yes. So I'm like, I need to know more about this woman. So the book is How to Solve a Crime by Angela Gallup. And on Audible, it's this beautiful British woman that is reading it to me. Mm. And I just, it's an amazing book. And if you you guys should definitely go check it out after you, after you listen to this. If you can. Right. Don't put us on pause today. <laughs> oh, no. So what you been up to? Not a whole
1: lot. You know, I'm going to be busy this weekend. I got some orders to fulfill making cake pops for Easter. Aww. Somebody, I, I don't even really know her. She was referred to me by somebody that knows her. She wanted to make an Easter basket for her grandchildren, just wanted to switch it up a little bit, add some cocoa bombs and cake pops to it. So I'm like, okay. So that's what I'll be doing. And that's what I've been doing in my spare time, looking up Kind of cute ideas. Mm-hmm. How to make it Easter themed or something without just going with the typical pastel colors.
0: Right. I'm envisioning your Easter basket to be black. <laughs> yeah, probably.
1: It I'm going to get a whole lot of shit from my kids again. They're both grown, mind you. Yeah. That they're yet again not getting an Easter basket. I'm like, honey, you're 27. <laughs> Mom, where's my Easter basket? I'm like, what Easter basket? Here's a text. Happy Easter.
0: <laughs> so that's what I've been up to. Cool. Well, I am here for your story today. Oh my gosh. Girl, this guy- one is a
1: little crazy, I felt like, as I was researching this. And I want to say that I started this case a really long time ago. I never quite finished it. Because it was exhausting. It gave me whiplash, literally. I feel like there were so many twists and turns, and I hope I finally got it right, and I hope you can follow me. Oh, I will. Because it's different times or years, so Mm -hmm. I'm kind of going back and forth a little bit, and I will make it as easy and logical as possible, but... Like I said, even as I was writing it, I got confused. <laughs> I confused myself, which is not hard to do. No, I'm sure you <laughs> I'm did I'm easily great. confused. So there's really no guarantee. There are three murders, missing children, several aliases. And also, here's your trigger warning. This episode does involve child sexual abuse. So if you are not interested in listening, we'll see you next week. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. As a teenager, Sharon Marshall had her whole life ahead of her. She was a lieutenant colonel in the ROTC program and one of the best and brightest students in her class. An undeniably intelligent woman with a kind heart to match. Upon graduating from high school in 1986 from Forest Park in Georgia, Sharon earned a full-right scholarship to the Georgia Institute of Technology to study aerospace engineering so she could fulfill her dream of working at NASA. I mean, that's gotta be pretty smart. And she got a full right scholarship. So she was pretty smart. That's amazing. And another thing, and maybe, and, and I'm sure there are a lot of them, I don't mean to say women can't study aerospace engineering, but for a girl, that is awesome. I felt
0: like. Yeah, she had to be so proud even to get the letter in the mail. Yeah. I probably would have peed my pants. Oh, shit. No
1: kidding. Me too. Despite this incredible once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, Sharon never went to college as she was keeping a secret. Sharon was pregnant during the final months of high school by her boyfriend, and she never told him about the baby.
0: Oh,
1: She hid her secret so well that she ended up giving birth and allowing a couple in Texas to adopt her baby boy.
0: Well, good for her.
1: Yes, that's what I thought. Very smart, especially, again, I know there are millions of women that have children and go to school, but especially for her to think, you know, she can't really provide or take care of the baby and to give it a better life. Absolutely. Or him.
0: I shouldn't say it. It was a baby boy. Right. So. There's no shame in that at all. No. Good for her. Yes. Exactly. Yeah.
1: However, the pregnancy had shaken up her life plans, and at one point, she apparently even tried unsuccessfully to run away with her boyfriend. After losing her chance to attend college, Sharon ended up moving to Tampa, Florida for a new start with a man named Franklin Delano Floyd. It's those three names. <laughs> If you
0: have three names, something is not right. I don't know. Well, you have three names. (laughs) But when I (laughs) hang on, I don't. uh, I just want to be clear I don't have a middle name. When I call you, I don't say, hello, this is, I don't mean to give you my full name <laughs> on the air.
1: No, that's true. I think they only use three names when they're criminals or infamous yeah. or whatever.
0: No, we've talked about this f- before. It's either like the one name game, you're so famous, you only need one name. Mm-hmm. Or you are feeling like, oh, they're n- never going to remember me. They need all right. three of my names. Let's go over the top. That's what I'm going for. The one name. (laughs) We
1: aspire. Move over, Cher. There's a new Claude in town. (laughs) (laughs) Despite having moved with Frank, Sharon started to date another man. And wouldn't you know... She was soon pregnant for a second time. She once again never told the father, the baby daddy, about the pregnancy. This time, however, she chose to keep the baby and raise it with Frank. Sharon gave birth to her son, Michael, in 1988. Frank and Sharon had somewhat of a complicated relationship. It was never quite clear if it was romantic or not, but the two lived together and both provided for Sharon's son, Michael. Frank worked as a painter, but he frequently suffered from a bad back and so he was rarely able to actually work because of this Sharon became an exotic dancer to provide for them but she also started to rely on welfare checks to survive her coworkers thought of Sharon as friendly and kind and she was especially close to an eighteen-year-old co-worker named cheryl camesso they hit it off right away despite the women's close friendship cheryl and frank were known to have frequent disagreements but there were reports that the two of them may have been involved in a brief relationship on the weekend in 1989 Frank, Sharon and Cheryl went on a boating trip together where a fight broke out between Frank and Cheryl. Following the fight, Cheryl allegedly reported Sharon to social services for misrepresenting her actual income as an exotic dancer. Sharon had been hiding some of the money she made to still get the welfare checks from the government. But Cheryl's call meant that Sharon no longer qualified for help from the government. Okay, these Cheryl and Sharons are starting to confuse me already.
0: (laughs) But Cheryl is the friend. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Okay.
1: Enraged by Cheryl's actions, Frank went to the club where Sharon and Cheryl... Both worked and confronted her outside of the club. Witnesses reported that Frank punched Cheryl in the face during the altercation. Shortly after that, Cheryl left her father's house to travel to stay with a friend. But when she never called her dad to tell him that she had arrived safely, he reported her missing. Her abandoned Corvette was found at the airport and investigation ensued to find the missing woman. Both Frank and Sharon were seen as persons of interest, but for years no evidence ever arose to connect them to Cheryl's disappearance. The two quickly packed up and left the area, which only increased suspicion, especially since they started using different names as they traveled. Very hard to keep track of them, you know,
0: where they ended up. I wish I could just relocate, change my name, be in Europe. Yeah. Just call me Andy.
1: (laughs) Frank and Sharon ended up getting married in 1989. Frank claimed it was to give Sharon's son his family names to belong to, though the couple frequently went by, you know, like I said, different names, aliases. They ended up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where Sharon once again found a job as an exotic dancer. Sharon always easily made friends everywhere the couple went. However, no one seemed to like Frank. He was an ass and very unpleasant. Reportedly, Frank once again got into a fight with another dancer Sharon worked with. And when the women just yelled at Sharon, she should just leave his sorry ass. He responded, if she ever left me, I killed a bitch. Oh, well, little did Frank know Sharon was making plans to leave him for a man she had met at the club where she worked. Allegedly, Sharon would have left Frank earlier, but she was afraid of what he might do to her and her son, Michael. Before she was ever able to leave, though, Sharon was the victim of a sudden accident. She was found unconscious by a highway, and it appeared as though she had been the victim of a hit-and-run. Frank claimed that he was asleep at the time of the accident. It was shortly after midnight. Even though she was rushed to the hospital, Sharon never regained consciousness. Mm. Her friends from the club would come visit uh, visit her, and many claimed that she was getting better. But Frank soon banned them from seeing her without any explanation. Yeah, right. I
0: would bust up on in there and see
1: her anyway. Exactly. Well, five days after the incident, Sharon died from her injuries, but many were suspicious of Frank's strange actions. The doctor was also suspicious, and based off of old bruises he noticed on her body, he classified her death as a homicide and even said that, the head injury that killed Sharon may not have been caused by a vehicle. Mm. But no one could prove that Frank had been the one who ran Sharon over or that he had possibly killed her while she was in the hospital. Many came to the same conclusion, especially when her co-workers had been the ones to pay for her headstone rather than Frank. What? not that crazy? They raised the money to pay for her headstone. So she
0: was getting better in the hospital and then all of a sudden just... She died. uh, Curious. Right. And he was the only one in there. Yeah. Friends couldn't go in. No. So
1: soon after Sharon died, Frank contacted life insurance companies to claim the $80,000 policy he had taken out on Sharon only just a few months prior to her death. The problem was that Frank frequently used different aliases, so the social security numbers he provided never matched his names. But after a few tries, he finally provided his real name, Frank Delano Floyd. It was then that all of Frank's lies began to unravel. It turned out that he had quite the criminal history. When Frank was 19, back in 1962, he was convicted of abducting and assaulting a (gasps) four-year-old girl, No, which resulted in him being sentenced to serve 10 to 20 years in prison. That's it. That's it. However, he escaped the mental hospital where he was first placed by stealing a car. Frank's shocking story was only beginning as the day after his escape, he robbed a bank, And was subsequently captured again. What? Yes. So he escaped the mental hospital. He stole a car, escaped, (laughs) and the next day he robbed a bank.
0: He's busy. Yeah. In
1: 1972, Frank was released, but almost immediately he tried to abduct a woman from a gas station and was once again arrested. She was like, not today, motherfucker. (laughs) This time, however, he was able to pay his bail... He paid his bail, but skipped his court date. A federal warrant was issued for his arrest, but he quickly vanished and began using a different fake name while on the run. That is until he finally had to give his real full name to the life insurance company, because those people are not stupid at Mm -mm. the life insurance company. They're not just going to hand out $80,000 without doing some investigating
0: It cracks me up that he could not get that money without
1: being like, okay. Well, he's like, well, shit, maybe I did use my real name. Let's try this. (laughs) I don't know. Who am I? Yeah. (laughs) Try Billy Joe. No. Ah, damn it. Frank attempted to flee from authorities, but he was soon captured in Georgia and placed in prison to finish His sentence that he skipped out on. Sharon's friends felt that Frank's arrest was a way to serve justice for untimely death. During this time, Frank had reportedly given Michael to social services before he went on the run. And Michael was soon put into the foster care system where he was placed with a very loving family. Aww... Everyone was shocked by the little boy's behavior as he appeared to be nonverbal and would only scream and moan to communicate. Frank insisted he was Michael's father, and so Michael was frequently brought to him to visit in prison. To the prison? Yes. Oh my god. But when Michael showed hesitance to visit Frank, DNA test was finally performed. Even though Frank initially resisted, it was discovered that despite what Frank said, Michael was not his biological child, and so the visit stopped. Good. Yeah, that's a good thing. But this story doesn't end here, and it was far from over. When Frank was finally released from prison in September of 1994, after serving four years he started stalking Michael and his foster parents in Oklahoma. He knew he would never be given custody of the child, uh, so he made a plan to just take him. On September 12, 1994, Frank showed up at Michael's elementary school and demanded to see the principal, James Davis. When he wasn't allowed to take Michael, Frank pulled out a gun and threatened Davis. Michael was finally collected, all without alerting anyone at the school. Frank forced the principal under gunpoint to take the two of them to an area a few miles from the school. Once there, Frank tied Davis to a tree, leaving him unharmed, and fled with Michael in Davis's truck. When the abduction was finally reported, a frantic search began, but it would take two long months for anything to be discovered. Mm-hmm. Frank was found in Louisville, Kentucky, and arrested, but there was no sign of Michael. Oh, no. Even after extensive searches, there was no trace of that little boy or what happened to him, and Frank refused to tell anyone. Talking about Michael to the police, Frank said, It's none of your business where he is, nor do I care how much any of you in Oklahoma miss him or love him. The first of many twists was revealed during Frank's trial for kidnapping Michael. In 1995, skeletal remains were found covered in vines in Pinellas County, Florida. They couldn't immediately identify the remains, but an investigation determined that the victim had died from a beating and two gunshot wounds to the head. Later that year, in 1995, a mechanic in Kansas purchased a truck at an auction, and inside, he found a large envelope filled with 97 photos depicting a woman who had been beaten and bound. And when I say inside the truck, it was actually taped to the gas tank, Mm. under the gas tank. Interesting. So it was hidden fairly well. Yeah. But this guy is a mechanic, and he took that thing apart, apparently. The truck had once been in the possession of Frank Floyd, who had stolen it while he was passing through the area in 1994, before eventually abandoning it. The photos were compared to the unidentified remains, and the wound to the photographs woman's cheekbone matched one on the recovered skull. Oh wow. The skeleton was soon identified and belonging to Cheryl Camesso.
0: <gasps> the coworker. Mm-hmm. And it that was just... just vanished. Yes. Oh my gosh. So it was just a coincidence that this guy just randomly found these pictures. Pictures, and wow. thank God he did. Oh my gosh. Cuz
1: Cheryl probably would have still been unidentified. Right. Frank was convicted for kidnapping Michael who still hadn't been found but was classified as missing, and Frank was consequently sentenced to 52 years in prison. He then went on trial for the murder of Cheryl Camesso, where he was found guilty and sentenced to death. But the photos found in the truck revealed something else even more shocking, bringing to light yet another twist in this case. What else? The pictures also showed Frank assaulting a young girl, But these images were much older than the ones of Cheryl. The search began to find the identity of the girl. This is where the case took a really crazy turn for me. I didn't see this one coming. It wasn't until 2014 that Sharon's true identity was finally and officially uncovered. To find the truth about Sharon and the pictures, we have to go back in time. After being released from prison and while he was on the run for attempted abduction, Frank got married in the mid-70s to Sandy Chipman.
0: Oh, before Sharon. Mm -hmm. He was married to somebody else. Yes.
1: So he got married uh, to Sandy Chipman. At the time, he had used the name Brandon Williams, and so Sandy hadn't known who he really was. The marriage was far from romantic, especially as it had begun with them tying the knot at a truck stop. Sandy had four kids at the time, and she herself didn't have uh, the cleanest record. She left her kids in Frank's care when she had to spend 30 days in jail for writing bad checks. But I read that the bad checks she wrote was for diapers Mm. and stuff, which made me really sad. I don't know how true it is, but that made me sad.
0: Yeah.
1: When Sandy finally got out after 30 days, she found that her house was empty and her children were gone. (gasps) It appeared that Frank had taken them and moved. It took Sandy years to find her children, or to find out where her children had ended up, but she eventually found two of her daughters living with a social services group. Despite this, Sandy couldn't locate her oldest daughter Suzanne, or her son Philip. Her son was eventually found as a gr- when he was a grown man. Philip came forward and had a DNA test done to reveal that they were. Related. Frank put him up for adoption. You just, how can you do that? That's just so crazy to me. So, two of them. Mm, two were in foster care, mm-hmm. and the baby, Philip, was adopted. Right. But what happened to Sandy's oldest daughter, Suzanne, is even more shocking. Sharon Marshall's real name was Suzanne Marie Savarkis. And she was the daughter of Sandy Chipman. Frank had taken Sandy's children, split them up over different social services groups, but kept Suzanne and raised her as, and I'm gonna put this in quotation marks, his own daughter. Okay. Frank and Suzanne moved frequently and across several states. Frank told many different stories to those around him about how he had come to care for the young girl. But in most stories, he claimed to have rescued her when she was abandoned by her parents. Gross. Bullshit. At this time, he was calling her by the name of Tanya Hughes. Yet, by the time that the young girl graduated from high school, she was going by the name of Sharon Marshall. (gasps) So that's his daughter. His stepdaughter. Oh, my God. Yes. Wow. Turns out that Sharon was kidnapped as a child by Frank her own stepfather, who raised her, frequently assaulted her, later married her when she was an adult, possibly killed her, and then kidnapped her child after she died. It was a story that investigators found so unbelievable to be, too unbelievable to be true, and yet it was all true. Also revealed in 2014 was that after almost 20 years of lies, Frank finally admitted to what Many already knew at this time that he had murdered little Michael by shooting him while on the run. Uh On the same day, he abducted him from the school. Uh He said he had hidden his body along Interstate 35, but an intensive search didn't reveal anything. It was later concluded that Michael's body may have been eaten by animals in the area. I mean, this is 20 years later. Yeah. It would have been a miracle, probably, for them to find anything. At all? hmm That makes me so sad. So sad. Frank Floyd was never found guilty of Sharon's murder, though most believe he was also guilty of killing her. To this day, he refuses to talk about Sharon's death. Frank is still awaiting his penalty for Cheryl's murder on death row.
0: Oh, Wow isn't that crazy that's
1: insane i hope y'all were able to keep up with me no you did great i started so many different ways you know do i start with a hit and run first and then go back and it was really challenging for me
0: oh i bet and i'm sure all of the articles you read had all these different names yes wow great job and i try to keep it fairly simple yeah, you did. And not use a whole bunch of names cuz no. it was confusing me. <laughs> and I appreciate that because that would have been difficult. No, wow. That blew me away. I Isn't cannot.
1: That Can you it? imagine coming home
0: and your house is empty and your kids are gone? Can you know? Can you imagine being the state farm agent that's like, "Okay, give me the fourth name." Yeah. <laughs> Next. <laughs> well, the thing is, Jeez. back in the well, this was A
1: while ago. So I don't know how that worked back then. Maybe, you know, every time you call, you get a different representative. Yeah. So. So he
0: just kept hanging up, calling back. Shit. Oh. Not me. (laughs) Oh my gosh. He's probably the reason why mental institutions have bars on the windows now. Now. Yeah. He's probably the reason. Mm
1: -hmm. Yep. Just walked out of there, stole a car. And tried to kidnap another woman.
0: He had probably been sitting there thinking about that
1: mm-hmm. for months. Yes.
0: Oh, I'm sure. Gross. That- so if you guys have any questions, if you are just as confused as I am,
1: please email us, judgycrimegirls at gmail.com. <laughs> I'll try to
0: answer it as best as I can. Oh, <laughs> you did great, and I'm sure, but. Yeah. Email us anyway. Give us a shout out. We loved it. We love to hear from you guys. We always love feedback. We love it so much. Thank you for listening and uh, tune in next week. All
1: right. Thank you. Bye. Bye.